Today on the show, we have a Tom Hanks twofer, Forrest Gump and Catch Me If You Can. I apologize in advance for the Forrest Gump impressions that I will no doubt do today. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in, I do appreciate it. Today's show, as I mentioned, we've got a couple of movies, as always, to talk about. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about, first and foremost, my bizarre uh, teenage-style interior decorating tastes in my house. I mean, I own a house... And I've decorated it, but I've decorated it in a way that you might decorate, you know, when you were in high school and you only had your bedroom to decorate. And so you just plaster the walls with movie posters and music posters and things like that. It's not a cool look. And, you know, I mean, luckily I don't bring many chicks home, so they don't judge me too much for it. But, I mean, it is what it is. I I try and... I've got a lot hanging up. I've got, obviously, a lot of Batman stuff. I, uh, obviously, that trumps all. And I've got some movie posters and some, you know, varying sizes. Most of them are 24 by 36, but some of them are, like, 11 by 17. Some of them are even smaller than that. And it just varies, you know. And and there's all sorts of different things that I, that I like to... And my biggest problem is I always want more... And realistically, I shouldn't get any more. I don't have any room to put any more of these posters up. But I somehow just managed to keep buying these posters. So I, I've got a I've got a Taylor Swift one, and I'm I'm thinking putting that in my bedroom is probably not the best option. On the very slim chance that I actually do bring a woman home one of these nights, uh, it's probably not a good look to have Tay Tay just staring down and judging, you know. I mean, I have a lot of collectibles, not just posters. I have Funko Pop bobblehead things, and I've got uh, a number of, of other, you know, replicas and and action figure type style Hot Wheels, uh, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And I mean, it's, I really do need to revamp, but I don't really want to, tr- like, I, I want to convert one room into a room that is entirely that stuff and then the rest of it can just be by itself you know like I can have like a tastefully decorated house or something I don't know I mean it's just it's it's tough to say you know where where I want to head with stuff because I really don't want to spend a whole lot more money to dress up my house and I don't but I don't want the walls to be bare you know so I mean maybe if I if I just dialed down how much I'm putting posters up and putting things... I, I, I have the posters framed and everything. It's just... It's not quite the same. Uh, the other thing that I've been dabbling around in is the art of bicycling, which I have my own bike. It's been in my family for quite a long time. It's a men's Huffy, which I know is not like a top-notch bike brand, but it's it's a, a known brand. I mean, when I... 
I started looking at it and I was like, God, you know, I really want to, I want to give this a shot and see if I can take my, you know, I, I wanted to, cause it had, it was a mountain bike and it had mountain bike tires on it. And I, I'd never done anything like that with, uh, putting new tires on a bike. So I gave it a shot and like, I went on Amazon and I found the right size tire And I ordered a couple of hybrid tires that are designed to be used on asphalt, which is where I would primarily be using the bike. I bought tubes for those tires because that's the way bikes are. They they have tubes in them. And those were ridiculously cheap. They were like under $4 a tube. And it's like, I would have thought, 20 bucks minimum on those. So I was very pleased with that. And they, they worked out great. And, you know, I, in taking the mountain bike tires off of the bike, I effectively destroyed the old tubes. So I bought new tubes for both the new hybrid tires and to replace the old ones and the, uh, the mountain bike tires. I had to adjust the brakes and I, I contacted my local bike repair shop and they just kind of, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get an idea. I was like, hey, you know, I've, I'm having problems with my brakes. I'm kind of wondering if you could maybe put new brakes on them. What else might need to be done to it? Because I just don't know by looking at a bike what's important or what's, you know, what what needs to be fixed up, you know? So the guy got back to me, gave me some price points, but I'm just like, God, I don't even really know. Like, I really should just ride this bike around a little bit and give it a shot because it's so possible that I'm not going to like riding a bike at all. I I don't, I haven't ridden a bike since I was too young to drive. And so, or, you know, not in any major capacity. And it's like, I just look at it and I'm like, I... I don't want to be one of those people out on the road, you know? I mean, if you're a bicyclist, you know what I'm talking about. Because if you're, even if you're not this kind of person on a bicycle, a lot of bicyclists don't think it's their, their job to, you know, they'll they'll ride on the road, which they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to ride on the sidewalk. And they will, they will not stop at stop signs. They will not obey the laws of the road. I've watched them drive through stop lights. I've watched them, you know, make lane changes or, you know, do do things that they have no business doing. And I think the hardest part is like, there are the ones that the bicyclists that want to be out on the big roads, you know, and nobody that's on a bicycle, in my opinion, has any business being on a highway. I think you should all only be on smaller streets and stuff or, you know, country back roads and stuff. It's not a good look, you know, and, and I just, it makes me lose a lot of respect for those that do bike because they, they don't have, a lot of them don't have an ounce of respect for the road. So it's like, I get, I get really fucking tired of it. And, and because I don't know if I want to get into the biking 100%. I don't know if I want to buy a bike rack or if I want to just leave it. I don't know if I want to invest any of this money in, and actually, you know, start dicking around with this because it's, it's just going to be a money pit. And it's like, am I really going to use it as much as I think I will? Because I mean, maybe if I got my bike fixed, it'd be in better shape, but I think in reality, I need to buy a new bike, which is fine, but I, I need to know if that's actually a good investment or not. And I, I, I'm going to have to give my current bike 
more of a chance and just find out, hey, you know, is this really as, is it really all it's cracked up to be? Now, today's movies, I do hold near and dear, okay? I I love these films, and I, I, I mean, spoiler alert, I really enjoy these movies. I, I can't get enough of them. Anytime I watch them, I'm captivated by them. I can't, I can't look away, and I cannot wait to talk about them. I'm hoping I don't ramble on at too much length and run out of time, but, you know, I, I'm going to see what I have to do because, honestly, if my, my time runs a little long, there's nothing that limits me because I usually try to stick to an hour or less, but it's like, you know, I mean, my Dark Knight trilogy one was just over, you know, it was like hour and ten minutes or something. And, by the way, my sister just called me to chastise me for not, knowing the backstory about why Taylor Swift is re-recording her albums, which I found funny, because I had no idea, I, I just, I don't, maybe it's like I don't pay enough attention or something, but, you know, it's basically like I was talking with all the other bands that re-record their songs, it was like, she's she's doing this so that she has the rights to her songs, and the record labels don't, and I get that, so it's like, I, I'm, I'm going to, probably have to gravitate towards her versions just to support Taylor Swift more than the big record companies. But, you know, I mean, that's... But she was giving me... My sister was giving me so much shit, and it was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really realize that. I I have a bad habit of throwing out little tidbits to chat about that I don't actually research because it's just me chatting about them. You know, I, I didn't look up the history of the bicycle before I started talking about it today. I just talked about it because it sounded good and, you know, it was something that was on my mind and I had been wondering about. But our first movie today is the one and only Forrest Gump, released on July 6th, 1994. It is directed by the one and only Robert Zemeckis, and I'm going to stop saying the one and only because it's going to get bad if I keep doing that. Yeah, some, some movies you definitely have heard of by Robert Zemeckis would include the Back to the Future movies, Contact with Jodie Foster, Castaway, also with Tom Hanks, Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and one movie I want to see or I'm vaguely interested in seeing, which is called Flight with Denzel Washington. It's one of these movies that I've always seen on filmographies and stuff like that, and I I've never heard anybody talk about it. You know, I've never heard somebody say, oh, you got to see this flight movie. You know, it's so great. You know, and I mean, it could be a very good movie and it's just underrated, but it could also just be mediocre and that's why I haven't heard about it. So that's where I kind of come to a bit of a tough decision with some of these movies because I want to watch all the movies all the time, but it's also tough when when you have a, a feeling like you might get something shitty when you're watching the movie. This movie was written, basically adapted for the screen, from a novel by uh, Winston Groom, a 1986 novel to be specific. The screenwriter was Eric Roth, and he has been on a lot of stuff, but he did Dune, which would, would be an adapted screenplay, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Insider, Ali, The Good Shepherd, Munich, which I was not as big of a fan of, and A Star is Born. And I like the music in that one, but I didn't really care for the movie quite as much. But most of those those ones that I listed, they are adapted screenplays or they are 
remakes or you know something where so I don't know how you know how good you know what chops he has as a writer but I mean he's got some some big movie names under his belt so that's that's still impressive regardless the composer for the score of this movie it's very important that you are distinctive about what's a score and what's a soundtrack score is just the instrumental music that is made specifically for the movie. The soundtrack features regular pop-type songs that are uh, not necessarily made for the movie, and they have vocals, usually. So, some of Alan Silvestri's... I mean, he he's the composer on this movie, and he he has done multiple Marvel movies. He did Ready Player One. He did... The Back to the Future movies, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a movie that is not so bad it's good. It's so bad it's bad. It's it's a legitimately terrible movie. It's called Mac and Me, and it's like a movie produced by McDonald's, if I'm not mistaken, and it is terrible, and it's kind of hilarious. Every time Paul Rudd comes on, he comes on a late night show, and he always, instead of playing a clip from the movie he's about to star in, he plays this same clip where this kid in a wheelchair flies off a cliff in Mac and Me and lands in a giant pond or lake or whatever you want to call it. It's a terrible movie, but I, I was really surprised to see that he had been involved. Uh, Alan Silvestri actually like put his name on that, but it was very early in his career, so I guess that's probably why. Um, he also did Predator, which I talked about was... It was a good score, but it was of its time. It didn't really, it you know, it just felt dated. Then um, we move on to the cast of this movie. And honestly, the cast is not that stacked, you know? It's not like you just keep seeing one name after another that is a person you've heard of 100% or anything. It's, I mean, there's like three or four people that I've seen in other things, and then the rest of them are pretty much not popular people. First and foremost is Tom Hanks, the lead. He plays the character, the title character of Forrest Gump. Uh, he he is in so many movies. He's he's in the other one I'm going to be talking about today called Catch Me If You Can. He's actually a more of a supporting role in that movie. Uh, he's in Saving Private Ryan. He's the lead in that. Toy Story, Sully. Philadelphia, Road to Perdition, Castaway, The Green Mile, Apollo 13, Big, and those are like my favorites of Tom Hanks, but he's got he's obviously in a bunch of others. I mean, he's in the Da Vinci Code movies, which I was never super crazy about, never really got into the books. Don't really, you know, I, I don't really have a huge fanship for those. Uh, he was also in a movie called Larry Crown, which I had to stop watching after like five minutes. And uh, actually, a girl I used to date who is married with a child now. But um, I asked her about that movie, Larry Crown, because she is a huge Tom Hanks fan. And she has, you know, watched every Tom Hanks movie. And she just loves him. She said she went to see Larry Crown on her birthday. And she could not have been more disappointed by that movie. It was just, it was that bad. Some, some to see. Uh, I, I do want to see The Post, which looks like it could be really good. 
with Tom Hanks, and I've seen Bridge of Spies, but I'd like to re-watch it because I don't know if I gave it a fair shake the first time through. Also featured in this movie, Gary Sinise, who plays Lieutenant Dan. Uh, I I most specifically remember him from... He, he was actually in CSI New York, the TV show. Oh, and he was in Apollo 13. That was, that was another big one, but... Most of the other ones that he was in, I, I I don't remember him from, or you know, I've never seen or whatever. Uh, Robin Wright, also known as Robin Wright Penn, plays the character of Jenny, and she is great in the Princess Bride. She is literally the Princess Bride. Uh, she's in the Wonder Woman movies and all of the connected DC films for that set of movies um she's in the girl with the dragon tattoo the the american one the uh with rooney mara and daniel craig she was in unbreakable which i've covered on this podcast she was pretty good in that kind of a bit part but still good uh one movie i keep seeing pop up for different reasons is called beowulf and i remember the the story beowulf from I think it was like British literature in high school, you know, Brit lit. And it was like, I I don't remember the, the book being anything to write home about, but this, you know, this Beowulf movie is, it's like an all computer animated movie, but it's made to look a lot more real than early computer animated movies, you know? So it's like the, the characters actually look like real people. Also in this, this film, uh, Forrest Gump is Sally Field, who plays Forrest Gump's mother, Mrs. Gump. I know her most specifically from Smokey and the Bandit, which I love. Five stars, 100%. Seal Magnolia's My Mom and Sister liked the movie growing up. It was, it's got Julia Roberts in it, and it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a chick flick, but you know, whatever. And she was also Aunt May in the Amazing Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield. And she was pretty good in those. Um, I always loved that those movies pivoted so hard to Marissa Tomei in that role. And it, it, it's just like, oh yeah, I, I can I can watch a movie with Marissa Tomei. I can, I can deal with that, you know? So basically, this movie, what it's all about is... I saw, and this isn't a direct quote, but I remember this movie was is listed on, you know, the guide for my TV one time, and I scrolled by it, and I wanted to see how it described it, and it was, it was something to the effect of, a simple-minded Southern man grows up and is indirectly involved in major events without realizing their historical significance, and I thought that was, I'm like, that's, Kind of good. It doesn't really capture like half of the movie, but it's pretty decent, you know? And it's funny because, you know, in this movie, there there's like a cyclical thing going on. There's a lot of stuff where it's like it repeats itself a little bit, you know, but not not to an absurd degree or anything. It's just it happens and they even kind of do a little in reference to it during the movie where where he's like, and I did this again, you know, and it's like. It's funny, you know what I mean? My uncle, who I talked to about this movie, and he said he had never seen the movie. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean you haven't seen Forrest Gump? Like, everybody's seen fucking Forrest Gump. Get the fuck out of here. And he was like, well, I was talking to a gal at work, and she said basically just one thing happens, and then it just it just keeps happening again, and then it, you know, 
And then it's a, and there's nothing really that great about it. And I was like, what? Get the, like, what an oversimplification load of shit that was, you know? Like, I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just bugged me that that was, that was how they, they marketed this movie to him and he believed them. So it was like, he never watched it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Forrest Gump's, you know, to get a little more into the plot than that synopsis I read. When he's a little kid, Forrest is living with his mother who runs this boarding house in a fictional town called Greenbow, Alabama. He meets a girl on the bus who is the only one that'll let him sit next to her. And her name is Jenna. And um, he has... He has like braces on his legs, which I've never seen in real life, but I don't know if that's more of a dated thing. If maybe now, if, if a kid were born with similar condition because he had like a curved spine or something, maybe, maybe they would do something differently to accommodate that or to, to rectify that. And they wouldn't put braces on his legs, but I I honestly don't know. Um, you know, he meets... He meets a lot of celebrities in this movie. He meets a, you know, he meets the president. You know, he goes on to be, you know, he figures out that that he can actually run despite those leg braces. Like he he sheds those pretty quickly. Sorry to give it away, but I'm assuming you've already fucking seen this movie. Uh, he goes on, you know, he goes to play college as, you know, he's a football player in college, and then once he graduates college, he joins the army. Once he's done with the army, you know, he goes and he plays ping pong. It's, um, it's a very, like, it's a game that he's exceptionally good at. And he ends up competing with, like, the Chinese in ping pong. And it's just crazy. And then he goes on to, you know, have his shrimping business. And he does his, his giant cross-country running stint for multiple years. I mean, there's there's so much interesting shit in this movie. I, I can't even really describe it. It's like it's so compelling the way that they'll they'll do these different things, the way they do things, and I'll, I'll get into it in a minute. Like one of my notes is this movie is the fucking best, and sometimes I find it hard to just explain why a movie is so good. It's like sometimes I feel like I shouldn't have to explain myself. I should just have to say it's good and leave it at that, but I'm going to do my best here. So it's one of my all-time favorites. The performances, everybody in this movie, there is not a single actor in this movie who feels like they should have been upgraded. You know, they should have had somebody better in their role. They all do an amazing job. They're just, it's cool, especially if you don't know much about history. It's a great way to get kind of a brief run through of a lot of major historical events but honestly, if you don't know much about history, you're probably not going to get a lot of what's going on. So it's like, I mean, there's that. But um, I, I would definitely say it's very cool. They, they do a lot of solid special effects in that arena. It's like they, they will insert Forrest Gump into footage from some time in history. And they will just have him be in, in that moment and they'll they'll digitally edit it and make it look right, you know, and and it's actually really cool. It doesn't look stupid or anything, you know. It's just it's like holy shit, that's really fucking cool that they can do that. The the cinematography is amazing. It's a very well shot movie. Uh, there are a lot of scenes, like I mentioned. There's 
there's a scene where Jenny sees Forrest at, you know, he's he's talking at a uh, a speech at the Lincoln Memorial, and all these people are gathered, and it's like digitally added people. There were like 1,500 extras, but they made it look like there were like 100,000 people at this fucking reflecting pool. And Jenny comes walking across the reflecting pool, and it's so cool. Like, I just... All you can think is, like, how the fuck did they do that? Especially in that day and age. But, I mean, there are just a ton of incredible shots. It's just a very well-shot well, well shot movie. My God. Some some things I will mention about this movie that I, I guess I have to say, because I can't just say all good things. Some of the special effects, like, for instance, there's a certain character who is legless at one point in this movie... And the effects look pretty shitty by today's standards. I mean, it's very, very obvious that they they like wrapped his his lower legs in like blue fabric and used that to make it appear as though he had, you know, he had no lower legs. Some of the scenes where Forrest is inserted into the historical footage, it's, they do, they make it so, you know, like John F. Kennedy is talking to Forrest, and when he's, you you look at his face, and they, like, have him say something, and it's like, it looks off, you know what I mean? It, it's confusing to look at, and it's like, it, it looks cartoonish, you know? So I, I guess that's a problem. Uh, there's a whole scene where Forrest Gump goes on the Dick Cavett show and John Lennon's on there. And it's more of the the special effects thing where they're, they're making his lips say something that he wasn't really saying. But it, basically, Forrest Gump supposedly is supposed to have served as inspiration for the song Imagine by John Lennon, which is... I, it, it's kind of dumb, I'll admit that. It's, you know. But my my other criticism of this movie is that sometimes I feel like maybe I can't love it as much as it deserves because it's, I've just, I only have so much love to give and it it needs so much more than, than what I can. So, I mean, one of my favorite quotes of a character named Ron Swanson that I reference a lot is he's talking about you know, these, (laughs) how he doesn't like, he doesn't like frou-frou symbolism, you know, and he says, he says, that's why my favorite book is Moby Dick. It's, it's got no frou-frou symbolism. It's just a simple story about a man who hates an animal. And it's like, that's fucking hilarious. Like, okay. But I mean, so the theme of this movie a lot of people have drawn the, the the conclusion that it's it's kind of a it's a commentary on what was what was going on in the world on you know that was on center stage and then what was going on behind the scenes and the counterculture movement and some of the less pleasant unseemly things that were going on and that basically you know as Forrest is following the you know he's in the Vietnam War he's in you know he's doing all of this all of this stuff that is major front and center stuff for American history. And then you've got Jenny who's like going to be a hippie. She's getting into drugs. She's 
Uh, she's befriending a lot of terrible people. She's just not, I mean, it's clearly not going well for her. And, and it just, it doesn't, nothing works out very well for her. A lot of people think that it, it has a lot of these these themes. I don't really give a shit. I mean, I, I, if I watch a movie and it's good, I'll I'll tell you it's good. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't need there to be I don't need to fully understand whatever symbolic things. It's like make make the movie pretty good on on its own two feet. You know, before you try and be symbolic and make things mean other things. Maybe maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe I'm sounding stupid. I don't know. A little bit of a little bit of factoids for you. There's, uh, the, you know, in the novel that I talked about from uh, 1986, the the character of Forrest Gump. I mean, they did they did change a lot of the novel for when they adapted it for this the screenplay. The novel also had Forrest Gump become an astronaut, became a professional wrestler, and he also was a chess player. And I mean, I could see like. It already seems like a bit much with all the stuff he's doing in the movie. So it's like if they would have tried to shoehorn in these multiple other things that they had him doing, it could have been bad. I mean, it could have been a really rough time. Although the film is set set in Alabama mostly, I mean, other than, you know, the war and, you know, different, different on-location type stuff. I mean, it's based in Alabama, but it, it actually was shot in South Carolina... North Carolina and Virginia. There's there's always there's always a, a tidbit that I see from this movie, and apparently this this has been said that the, what he was so at the scene at the reflecting pool where Forrest Gump gets up to deliver a speech. Somebody who you know some radicalist or whatever you want to call him gets into the audio equipment and disconnects the microphones. While Forrest Gump is about, you know, like, just as he's about to talk. And then he says all this stuff. And, you know, they finally, they stop the guy that was, that was unplugging everything. And when they get everything plugged back in, Forrest Gump just says, and that's all I have to say about that. And it's like, okay. Apparently what they actually said was, Sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home to their mamas without any legs. Sometimes they don't go home at all. That's a bad thing. That's all I have to say about that. So, I mean, that's... I mean, actually, that would be a little too profound, I think, for this character. But uh, but it's also simplistic enough that it would fit. Uh, apparently, Tom Hanks did not actually take a salary for this movie. He was paid percentage points... For this movie, and it ultimately netted him forty million dollars for this film, which is per- like percentage of the uh, you know of the profits of the movie. The ball in the ping pong scenes is pretty much always CGI, as far as I know. The scene with Elvis, Kurt Russell voices Elvis, and the one that blew my mind that I had never heard of before was that Bill Murray. John Travolta and Chevy Chase all turned down the role of Forrest. Okay. Zemeckis actually wanted Bill Paxton for the movie, and they just didn't feel like he was a high high profile enough actor. So the guy who wrote the book actually wanted John Goodman for the role, which is 
crazy to me because I mean I mean it's John Goodman he would have been at the the height of his Roseanne days you know so I mean it's it's crazy to think that could have been him but you know whatever you know going piggybacking off that that note um another thing that I I would be remiss if I didn't mention is the fact that my this has to be one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And I mean, I love the score from Alan Silvestri and he's got a, he's got a very cool instrumental score for the movie, but this movie introduced me to so many of the greatest songs of the 50s, 60s and 70s that I just, I find it hard to even wrap my head around it. You know, like, I mean, it's fucking crazy. And like, you couldn't get them all on a CD, like, Unless you got, I think, like a special edition version of it. But it it was pretty fucking cool. Some of the songs, and I'll just kind of run through them, that are on the soundtrack are Hound Dog by Elvis, Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival, which actually came a pretty big cliche uh, for like war movie uh, backing songs, you know. Um... Uh, I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch by The Four Tops, Respect by Aretha Franklin, California Dreamin', For What It's Worth, or California Dreamin' is uh, The Mamas and the Papas, For What It's Worth is Buffalo Springfield, Break On Through to the Other Side by The Doors, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel, which was originally featured in The Graduate, Get Together by The Youngbloods, Turn, Turn, Turn by The Birds. Everybody's Talkin' by Harry Nilsson. And that was originally featured in Midnight Cowboy. Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinnerd. Runnin' on Empty by Jackson Brown. On the Road Again by Willie Nelson. Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Now that is a fucking stellar list of songs I just went through. And that is, I mean, that's, it's got to be probably the best soundtrack. One of the best, if not the best soundtrack I've ever heard. So this movie did win Best Picture and Tom Hanks won Best Actor for it. Um, I I always find it interesting. I mean, there were other movies that I I, I didn't look up, but... um, So Forrest Gump obviously won, but... Four Weddings and a Funeral uh, was also nominated. Pulp Fiction, which is also nominated, and that was the one that John Travolta, I believe, ended up just going all in on, which I can't say it was a bad idea because, I mean, this movie would not have been good with John, with John Travolta in it. I'm sorry, it just wouldn't. Quiz Show, which is one I need to see, but I still haven't gotten around to. And The Shawshank Redemption, which, man, that, I mean, that's, that's a tough a tough year for Shawshank Redemption to come out in that they have to go against Forrest Gump. I mean, it's, I can't fucking believe it. So anyway, the runtime of this movie was 142 minutes. The budget was $55 million, which seemed low to me given the amount of special effects that were at hand. Industrial Light and Magic, it just seems like they would have been more expensive. So I don't know. Uh, worldwide gross to date is $678.2 million. This film has an IMDb rating of 8.8, a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes of 71%, which 
I added a nice little note about that. I said, eat shit. And then the audience score was 95%, which I get it, okay? My personal rating is going to be 5 out of 5 stars. I promise you that. It's it's such a great fucking film. I love it. It's one of my all-time favorites. If If we took Batman out of the equation, it would definitely be... Top five without question. I just don't know. I, I, I never like to rank movies because I don't feel like you're comparing apples to apples with that. But it is what it is. For our next movie, we'll be talking about a little film called Catch Me If You Can. And it was released on December 25th, 2002, Christmas Day. In case you didn't know. Uh, it was directed by the one and only Steven Spielberg. It's the last time I'll say it. You know, I, I usually list off a few movies by the director of the movie. Steven Spielberg has had a couple of decent hits, you know, one or two decent movies. Uh, he, he made Jaws, Saving Private Ryan, Indiana Jones, the whole fucking series, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Minority Report, Hook, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I wasn't super impressed with. I, I do want to see The Post, and I want to see 1941. Those two movies keep popping up for me, and I need to check them out. So, this movie is based on a true story. It's uh, it's billed as being inspired by true events, because there is quite a bit of diversion from the source material on this. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff in this the story, you know, movie-wise, that doesn't happen, or that, I should say, didn't happen in real life, you know. Uh, it's about a guy named Frank Abagnale Jr. It's a real guy who really conned people. You know, as I said, the movie was partially fictionized. He, uh, I mean, I'll get into the plot a little more than that, but, I'll, uh, you know, it's just, it's very cool. You know, he wrote this, he wrote this book, and, you know... There's been a whole lot of, of stuff that has gone on in the making of this movie because it, it has been on the docket for so long and been passed around. I can't believe it actually ended up good. For the composer of this film, I put John period fucking period Williams period. It is... I, the guy has so many scores and I'll list those off, but, you know, at least the highlights. And But this one, it fits the movie so perfectly. It brings the movie to life in a way that that anybody else, if they would have been in this, you know, in the seat of having to compose for this movie, it wouldn't have come out as good. It just wouldn't have. So obviously, you know, John Williams is a big name. I'm I'm just kidding around, but he's uh he's he's got some amazing uh amazing work. He did all of the main trilogies of Star Wars. He did all of the Indiana Jones movies. He did a couple of the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. Did the Harry Potter movies, E.T., Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, Home Alone. He obviously frequently collaborates with uh, with Steven Spielberg and, and George Lucas, and you know, so it's it's pretty nifty. Oh, and he did he did Jaws. I mean, Jaws was the big one that like was his breakout. You know. He was, I think he composed the Fiddler on the Roof uh, songs because it's a musical. 
but I mean, he he is a fucking solid guy all around. And the only thing that bummed me out was I I recently saw an article that stated that John Williams had said that his last movie that he was going to compose for was going to be Indiana Jones 5. And I was like, that's not the way that guy should be going out. That's that's not the way this should happen. But whatever. So, in this movie, we have, for the lead role of Frank Abagnale Jr., we have Leonardo DiCaprio, who is skyrocketing at this point in his career. I mean, he was in Titanic, and he was in a couple of movies right after Titanic, but nothing that stood out. But all of a sudden, people started to realize, like, hey, this dude can fucking act, and this... And, you know, he's a good-looking guy, He's he's got a lot of appeal, and it helped out for this one that he looked so young, because he was playing, he must have been playing, like, at least 10 years younger than what he really was, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, wow, that's fucking awesome. You know, as I mentioned, uh, he's in Titanic, he was, uh, he was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is a movie I'll always remember from my childhood, it's a great one. Uh, The Departed was a solid film. Uh, Martin Scorsese, who he frequently collaborated with after this. The Wolf of Wall Street, another Martin Scorsese movie. Shutter Island, Martin Scorsese. Don't Look Up was a very recent one. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino, solid film. The Revenant is the one he finally won Best Actor for because I feel like they were really fucking hosing him on a lot of these movies that he'd been in. Uh, He was in The Aviator. I mean, my God, there's way too fucking many of these. But anyway, uh, he he was in Gangs of New York. He was in a movie called The Great Gatsby, which is adapted from a popular novel and was a fucking stupid adaptation and had a bunch of Jay-Z songs in this Jazz Age movie fucking bullshit. Anyway, um, he was in a great underrated movie called Blood Diamond. Uh, and two movies that I'd like to see with him in it are Revolutionary Road with Kate Winslet and The Quick and the Dead, which is like a Western from the mid nineties, which is solid. I mean, I've heard it solid, I should say. And obviously, like I promised, you know, Tom Hanks is in this movie. He plays FBI agent Carl Hanratty, who, that's not actually the name of the agent that was chasing Frank Abagnale Jr. It was just, you know, the guy, the real guy didn't want his name used, so Frank Abagnale, like, respected that and named him after, like, a football player or some fucking thing. Christopher, or, and I won't, I won't get into Tom Hanks' filmography again, I mean, even though there's more to talk about. Christopher Walken plays Frank Abagnale Sr. I mean, he was very good in this movie as well. Um, He, he, you know, he's, some of his biggest movies are like The Deer Hunter. I liked him in Wedding Crashers, although it was a pretty small role. Man on Fire, he was solid in. He was on screen for less than five minutes in the movie Pulp Fiction, and he was amazing. He was in the movie Seven Psychopaths with Sam Rockwell, which was not a very good movie. I, I was really disappointed by it when I finally saw it. And it wasn't even like it was rated poor, you know? It was just like, it was clearly overrated. People didn't want to admit that they had seen something that wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, a very young Amy Adams is in this movie. She plays a character named Brenda Strong. 
she's she's been in quite a bit of stuff. I mean, the first thing I think of when I see her is she was Katie in The Office. She was in the episode called The Hot Girl. She was the titular hot girl. And she comes in there to sell handbags and all that fun stuff. But she was also in the movie The Fighter. She was in this really cool science fiction movie called Arrival. Uh, she was in American Hustle. She was in all these recent DCEU Superman movies as Lois Lane. And, you know, like Justice League and all that stuff. She was in the movie Her, which is criminally underrated in my opinion. Like, it, it's a really great movie. You really should check it out if you get a chance. So we also see Martin Sheen, James Brolin... Ellen Pompeo, who is uh, Grey from Grey's Anatomy, and this was before that happened, and I think around the time that she would have probably been in old school. And then Jennifer Garner is in this for a scene. Elizabeth Banks, very early, like not so early, because I think she was already in the Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies by this time, but Still very early for her. But I mean, the the basic premise of this movie is this kid goes off on his own when there starts to be trouble with his parents, you know, as far as them getting divorced or whatever. Uh, He starts, like, he learns from his father how to con people and how to, you know, get his way in certain things. He starts writing forged checks and, you know, just passing them off as as authentic and trying to get people to you know to cash them and and he he learns a lot about how they work and what he needs to do to make them work um he and then he starts pretending that he has jobs that he doesn't have he pretends to be a substitute teacher he pretends to be a pilot he you know he goes all over the place i listed the note of Charms numerous up-and-coming hotties, which I guess you could say. I mean, like, Jennifer Garner is in this movie, but she was not in... Like, she was not new to the scene. Like, she was already in the show Alias, so it was a pretty small part for her to take. And, you know, Tom Hanks's part in this movie is investigating Frank Abagnale Jr., what he's doing. It's, it's all of this fraud that they've never seen before in their life. You know what I mean? They're looking at it. They're like, how the fuck is he doing this? You know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Frank Abagnale Jr. is frequently, you know, he sees his dad multiple times in this movie and his parents are clearly like not together anymore and they're not getting back together. And he still has this childlike belief that they're going to get back together, you know? So he always talks about it to his dad and it's really awkward but it's, I mean, it's a very, it makes sense. You know, he was, he was a child when he left and he's growing up, but he never like learned how to look at things a little more objectively and understand what was really going on. I mean, some of my favorite parts of this, this movie are just seeing his process and how he, he does these, you know, these fake checks and you know, what different methods he used and, you know, different different ways that he got those checks made, you know, it was very cool. I mean, throughout this movie, he also just charms the pants off, off so many people, literally, that it's like, I mean, and then he just regularly charms the people that he doesn't charm the pants off of. But, I mean, he's so great. He does such a good job of, of being, being that guy that's, you know, 
that's sweet talking people, you know, I would say that the, like some of the cooler things of this, you know, just to critically speaking, say, uh, storytelling style, the way, you know, you're, you're watching basically like you're watching older Frank Jr. as he's being apprehended or whatever. And then you're flashing back to young Frank Abagnale Jr. And it's like, it's very cool the way they do it. Uh, the cinematography is all very cool. There's a scene in particular that I, I, I that stuck out to me when they're at an auction for like a bank typewriter that is designed to make checks. And you're just sitting there looking at this crowd and you don't see anybody in, in there that you recognize a familiar face or anything. And you just see all of a sudden... It's like it pans down just a little bit and he raises his paddle to to bid on the typewriter and it's you know it's Frank Jr sitting there and it's it's a very cool shot. I really like the way they did it. So all of the, I mean there are so many good people in this movie and as you might expect the performances stand out all across the board and the score is as perfect as you might expect. My only criticism is that this movie could have been two and a half minutes longer, you know, just why wasn't it two and a half minutes longer? You know what I mean? A little bit of a little bit of trivia here. Um, little factoids. Uh, David Fincher, Gore Verbinski, and Cameron Crowe were all considered or had actually signed on to direct and dropped off at one point. Uh, James Gandolfini was going to play Tom Hanks' part of Carl Hanratty. Ed Harris was going to play Frank Sr., which ultimately went to Christopher Walken. Chloe Sevigny is, uh, was the original actress considered to play Brenda Strong, Amy Adams' part. So this film shot in 147 locations in the span of 52 days. Now, it wasn't clear if maybe two locations that were, uh, you know, 50 yards apart from each other were considered two separate locations and that's how that number because I mean that, that'd be really tough to accomplish but I mean even if if you're bouncing all across town and then you're moving to another town and you're bouncing 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 and they said that basically the reason they were able to shoot in so many locations is because they kept planning for these shoots to take like two or three days and they ended up taking like an afternoon you know so I mean that's pretty crazy um so the real Abagnale Jr. had little to no involvement in this movie, and it seemed like he didn't really want to. I, I, I like he didn't really want to provide input. He just trusted Steven Spielberg, but he ended up coming out later and pointing out a bunch of issues. You know, like he he commented on the fact that he had brothers and sisters, and he, you know, in the movie it was like he was portrayed as an only child, and his. You know, when he left home that one time, he never saw his father again. And throughout the movie, he sees his father repeatedly. You know, just stuff like that. DreamWorks did, as I mentioned, they labeled this inspired by a true story because there a lot of flack had been given to the movies A Beautiful Mind and Hurricane, which were 
based on true stories, but they, they got a little liberal with what they talked about and what, you know, how the story was told and stuff like that. And it wasn't actually what it needed to be. This one was 141 minutes long. Like I, like I was saying, if it would have been 143, 144, man, this would have been perfect. I'm obviously joking. I really enjoyed this movie and it didn't need to be any longer or any shorter. It was perfect just the way it was. The budget for this film, $52 million. Worldwide gross to date, $352.1 million. It had an IMDb rating of 8.1. The critic score on Rotten Tomatoes was 71%. And I say to that, fuck right off. Uh, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was 95%. Fantastic. My own personal rating of this movie is five out of five stars. I I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's one of my all-time favorites. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. I mean, both of these movies are actually available right now on Netflix. So that kind of works out super well for you. If you've got Netflix, I mean, just hop on there and... If you haven't seen Forrest Gump, you've been living under a fucking rock your entire life, or you listen to people like my uncle explain movies to you poorly. But, I mean, Catch Me If You Can is one that I don't think got as much recognition in its day, and I remember I saw it in theaters. It was spectacular. It was a great fucking movie. It's just... There's only so many of these movies, guys. I, I can't I can't recommend enough of them, and I that's what I love, is that I can... I can rewatch these movies and not, you know, I, I can remember almost every aspect of them, but I still enjoy them. That's how good they are. So, I mean, stay tuned for more reviews. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I love each and every one of you individually, and I wish you all the best. Please let me know if there are movies that you would like to see me cover on this show. Have a good day. Thank you for your time. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.